We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey guys, this is Ian Happ from the Chicago Cubs. I'm excited to announce that my show, The Compound, is now part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Join me and my teammates, Dakota Meckis and Zach Short. This week, we welcome Cubs first baseman, World Series champion, Anthony Rizzo to The Compound. Check it out. Subscribe. The Compound on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by Nick Pilato. Today, we're going to dive into the next part of our positional Giants roster breakdown series. We are headed straight for the offensive line. Yes, that same unit that has been a work in progress now for over a decade, a decade-long work in progress. There is some optimism that that work in progress finally may come to fruition. We're going to get to the bottom of if that's possible, if that's true, how likely that is to happen during the 2020 season based on the parameters that are in play here. Uh, But before we do that, let's dive into a little bit of quarantine update. Nick, it's Father's Day tonight when we're recording. I just got done with a very, very nice dinner with my whole entire family uh, wrapped up by us going to the golf range. I have played golf probably two to four times in my life, but I'm making a commitment. I want to learn the game. I want to get better. It's incredibly frustrating, just incredibly frustrating for me to be bad at anything. I hate – I'm ultra competitive competitive to a to a negative point. That's been my life my whole time. You can blame Ron Schneier, our father. He pitted me and Matt Schneier, my brother, against each other in competition our whole life. But personally, some people think it's a negative. I think it's a positive to be hyper-competitive personally. Uh, I'll always believe that. I don't really care what other people say about that. I can't change my mind on it. But the point is, golf, my man, holy crap, is it frustrating to be bad as bad as, bad as I am. But I got a little better. I saw some progress at the very end of that uh, driving range session. My brother gave me some good good tips. He's really improved. Um, And very sore, by the way. About an hour or two of swinging. Oh, my God, my back, my hips. Real sore, Nick. So how how about you? How was your Father's Day? First off, Father's Day was fine. I saw my old man on uh, Friday, but I didn't get to see him today. But, of course, call him and everything like that. But as for golf, man, I, I uh, I can relate to where you're coming from. I started playing, you know, just here and there a couple of years ago, and it was a lot of fun. But I wasn't all that good. Just like you, man, I have that ultra competitive mindset. And it it really sucks, man, because I really get myself into trouble sometimes when I'm like freaking out over a card game or losing in like Super Smash Brothers Melee. But it's just who I am. I just I can't really help myself. But I've actually been playing another sport during this quarantine, and that's tennis. And I got to tell you, man, ultra competitive. And I, it leads me to arguments that I shouldn't get into with, you know, whoever I'm playing with, my roommates or my girlfriend or whatever. And obviously it's all lighthearted, but. I just really want to win, but I feel like I'm getting better, man. I feel like I'm getting better at tennis. 
Oh, actually, I don't know if you knew this, but I'm actually a really, really solid tennis player. I played my entire life, uh, played in high school, number one singles, shout out West Orange High School, 21-7 and seven record my final year, but who's counting? Oh, I am. I'm always counting stats. What happened um, with those seven, bro? What happened with those seven, dude? You know, I wasn't that freaking good, you know? I have some limitations. I'm a five foot eight Jew from West Orange, New Jersey, so, I mean, how, how, how good can I be? But... I was pretty solid. Um, still pretty solid. Haven't played as much. Want to play more this summer. I, I got to get going again. Maybe we'll hit sometime, Nick. I don't know what your level is, but you got to be at least up to a certain level for me to want to hit with you. Nah, I'm just kidding. We'll definitely hit sometime, but uh, you, You'll school me at this point, man. I'm just getting happy that I'm getting serves yeah. hard and to the point. At this, exactly. That's where I'm at right now. Exactly. And I could give you a couple tips on that, too, for sure. But before we dive into Giants football, one last final update. As I said on the last podcast, Nick, to all of our listeners, NCAA football has arrived in my mail. It arrived on Thursday, started dynasty mode with the Wisconsin Badgers. Coach Dan Schneier created a player, one player, Dan Schneier II. He was supposed to be a quarterback. Unfortunately, I made him a five-star recruit. Battled hard in the recruiting process. By the way, the recruiting process is fun but tedious, extremely tedious. It's the same thing over and over with those calls. You hit like, you know, what is he high on? What is he not? Trying to make these promises, schedule these visits. I got this kid, Dan Schneier, a five-star. You know, you don't get five-star recruits often at the quarterback position as Wisconsin Badgers program. I got him second on the list, and then he, were, and he but then he finally was a hard commit to Oklahoma. Devastating Ooh. to see my son, Coach Schneier's son, Go to another school, but I understand he wants to go play with Lincoln Riley. It's a great system for him in the future. And in my first season, Nick, we'll do a quick recap of my first season. It was going incredibly. I was 6-0 and with the Wisconsin Badgers, and I ran into Rutgers at home in Madison. And it was just one of those goddamn games, Nick. Pick six, touchdown for Rutgers. Rockers. Pick six, touchdown for Rutgers. I'm driving down. Fumble six. That's their third touchdown of the game. Now it's almost all over. I've given up three touchdowns on fumble sixes. Finally, a fourth fumble six for a touchdown. Twenty. The Rutgers has a lead now. I drive down with under 30 seconds left, score a touchdown, miss the extra point somehow. Oh. Just a total choke job on my part. But win in overtime. Everything's going great. I'm back on track. Get a nice win. And then I just have a total collapse game against Minnesota. I was number one ranked in the country. Total collapse game, week 10 against Minnesota. The freaking Gophers. When they they came to our school in Wisconsin when I was in college. We used to chant at them, safety school, safety school, safety school, because it's a t- it's a, compared to Wisconsin, it's a terrible school academically, athletically, uh, campus-wise, party-wise, everything Minnesota is worse than Wisconsin. And I'm sorry for any listeners who, went, who are gophers and went to Minnesota. Just know, Badgers, Wisconsin, much better school. And I lost to the Gophers. Whole season collapsed. They ranked me 17. Won the Big Ten Championship. But that only only got me up to 12 where I beat, where I lost. No, I lost to Utah in the Rose Bowl. Devastating. Entered my second season unranked. Unbelievable. I haven't started my second season yet. But first season, I consider it a massive disappointment. How about the Marshall Thundering Herd, though? I haven't really played much recently, but uh, like I said, Marshall Thundering Herd, they're in the SEC now. I got, I'm about halfway through the first season of that specific uh, season, and I lost to Georgia. And I was the number one ranked wow. the entire year because I won the national championship the year before in the uh, Conference USA. But losing to Georgia probably bumped me down to like nine or something like that. Yeah. But uh, so, um, all the national champ just out the door. But it doesn't matter. I'm just that, The program's so good, I, I don't even want to play it anymore, man. I get all, all these five-star recruits. It's it, I, like if you're not even a – Raise your level. I, I, I'm, what I'm gonna, oh, no, it's already a Heisman level, man. I just oh, need wow. To, I'm thinking about maybe, you know, I'll hang the cleats up for a year like Urban Meyer and then go to like some <laughs> other small level school and try to turn that program around. But I don't know, man. Now that things are starting to open up, I probably won't be playing as much as that. That's true. But now before we talk Giants football, let me ask you one thing. Are you on Heisman both recruiting and gameplay or just the gameplay? Uh, all. Yeah. Wow. I'm not I'm not nearly at that level yet. I am. Uh, I'm on the second highest level for playing. So I think that's bar- or, or no, not varsity. All American. And then I'm only on varsity recruiting right now so i got i gotta i gotta i gotta up it but uh you know i gotta learn the game a little bit more i'm not i'm yeah. not a great i told you I'm, I'm very pick heavy anytime i throw an out pass towards the sideline it's always mi- a misread pick i'm always late on that out and that's where all my picks come I, i've been i've been charting my picks in my head nick they're never those over the middle throws they're always when i try to hit the out when i try to hit the sidelines and i've learned that i gotta i gotta stop throwing to the sidelines it's always late it's never a good idea just got to tuck it and run, take a sack, press R- R1, throw it away. Anything is better. 
utilize those check downs or just util- have a route going in the middle of the field, man, a drag, something like that. Something yeah. that can just a dig over the middle, something that you can get behind the linebackers and between them safeties. Yes. I will say one thing that I've learned from playing NCAA that I think can apply to the Giants since this is a Giants podcast. My God, is the HB angle route so effective in that game? Like, give me a break. Run run that freaking arrow, that angle arrow route with Barkley. How, how is a linebacker going to stop Barkley on that? Give him that like six times. A, I, I want like four to six targets a game on that route with Barkley. Just just run it. Just run it. Make the defense respect it. It's hard to defend. Yeah, the, te- the Texas concept, when you yeah. use the Texas concept with a tight end, run, like say Evan Ingram, for instance, running a vertical right up the yes. seams, just splitting those seams, making that safety drop, and then that's just going to isolate a linebacker on Saquon Barkley, who Saquon Barkley could be going outside. He right. could be going inside. It could be going up the seam. What is he going to do? That linebacker is not going to be athletic enough to stop him, and it's really going to focus a lot of attention to the middle of the field if you keep abusing defenses with that, which open up things on the outside. It's the chess match of football. We did not see enough of that with Pat Shermer. And it's a super simple concept, but it's super effective if you have the right personnel. And I can't think of better personnel, really, than Evan Ingram and Saquon Barkley, at least combination-wise. Like, yeah, sure, you'd probably rather have, like, Travis Kelsey and, and, you know, maybe Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Maybe that's a better combo right off the top of my head. But, like, you know, he's still a rookie. But this is one of the best combos for this. And I'm hoping Jason Garrett, somebody who will utilize the tight ends up the seam vertically, can take advantage of Saquon Barkley as well with that open space in the middle on those type of routes because we know it's going to happen. We know they're going to get that that kind of open space, and we'll just have to see if that happens. But today's podcast is not about Saquon Barkley. It's not about Evan Ingram. It's not about what we expect from Jason Garrett's offense. It's about this Giants offensive line. I said in the beginning of the show, Nick, a work in progress since basically 2008 – or no, since 2009, sorry. The 08 line was good. The 09 line was okay, getting worse. It really started to collapse in 2011, and that was the breaking point for that offensive line. And then ever since then, it's been all downhill. Now, last year, here was their attempt to try to get better. They did – move that I thought would really improve their line, bringing in Kevin Zeitler via the Odell Beckham Jr. trade. A lot of people don't think he was part of that trade. Well, it was reported as one full trade because he was part of that trade. And the only reason it was agreed to and reported early at the first was because, you know, the original terms of the Odell Beckham deal fell apart. And when they came back together, the Giants swapped back the pick. So that just shows it was one deal. Anyway, this is a guy who finished back-to-back seasons with the Browns. Um, as a top six guard, and then really wasn't the same with the Giants. I thought he was going to be really just one of the best offensive linemen at the guard position in the NFL last year. Top 10 at worst, top five. I thought he would really improve in a zone-heavy scheme with the Giants. I thought everything was aligned. Now, he dealt with some injuries. We're going to talk about each individual guy, but he didn't really boost the offensive line enough, in my opinion. Then, at the same time, I know we were somewhat alone in this pod, in this take on the Big Blue Banter podcast, Nick, and this was before your time. But both Turchin and I, from what we saw on the All-22 tape and the back half of that 2018 season, Nate Solder was playing really, really good football in that, in that Pat Shermer system. Really, really good specifically as a run blocker in that zone-heavy system. Back end of 2018, people forget the back end of 2018, the Giants were a pretty solid football team. After that bye week when they brought in um, – Forgetting his name, the guard from from the Rams who went over to Atlanta last year. Totally forgetting his name. What's his name, Nick? Do you remember? Brown? Yeah, Jamon Brown. After they brought in Jamon Brown to kind of show up the line, they were a good football team over that second half of 2018 on the offensive side of the ball. Specifically, the offensive line was playing much better. That was some of the best games from Will Hernandez. He had some growing pains in his rookie season. He really came alive. But, unfortunately, sold in my opinion, took a massive step back. But the biggest step back, in my eyes, from watching the All-22, and we're going to get to all these guys, I'm going to get to your opinions, Nick, was Will Hernandez, who, according to Pro Football Focus, was the 12th best guard in the NFL during his rookie season. According to Pro Football Focus last season, he was one of the worst. And according to the test, it was really bad for Will Hernandez last year. Then finally, finally, they brought in Nate, uh, I'm sorry, Mike Remmers, supposed to be a stopgap. Thought he somewhat improved the right tackle position, still had his warts. Not the biggest issue on that offensive line, but not a positive, really. No one who really helped the team, in my opinion, from too much of a pers- uh, standpoint. And then finally, John Halapio. Man, we were sold a bill of goods with Halapio last offseason. You know, what's his name? Charles Bentley, who worked with him, said he has a chance to be a top five center in the NFL. Loved his tape. But coming back off that injury, he was not the same, even though I didn't think he was as good anyways, advertised before that. Just Blown up too many times at the point of attack. Finally, a massive injury at the end of the season. Uh, brought in, or, you know, at some point brought in Spencer. 
Pulley, who again, you you guys, fans of the show know I'm not a big Pulley fan. You aren't either, Nick. End result, not a good offensive line. According to Pro Football Focus, Daniel Jones was under pressure on 42% of his ta- snaps, tied for most in the NFL with Sam Donald. Some metrics put the Giants as a bottom third offensive line. Some as a bottom fourth offensive line. Some, some actually put them more in the middle. I don't see it. Regardless, none of the metrics, none of the grading, none of the stats put them as an above average offensive line last year. It's another season of this failed experiment. Now, Nick, as we head into the 2020 season with a very limited offseason ahead of us, but additions, real additions again on this offensive line, potentially a, a healthy Kevin Zeitler, hopefully an improved Will Hernandez, maybe some kind of upgrade somewhere at center. It's still hard to tell if anyone can really step in there. Um, and then hopefully a better uh, Nate Solder, uh, Andrew Thomas, ready to play right away, and veteran signing Cam Fleming. Potentially, maybe Nick Gates, who started three games last year, one at right guard, two at right tackle, played pretty well. We're going to get into him as well. There's reason to believe this experiment could finally take a step forward and make that big jump in 2020. I'm more prone to believe, gun to my head, 20, this is built for 2021. We shall see. I still think there's going to be improvement this off se- this season. But I want to get I want to get your take on if you think they did enough to upgrade this offensive line this offseason. Absolutely. I think they did plenty. I mean, you spent a first round pick, the fourth overall pick on it seems like what the NFL viewed as the best offensive tackle. It seems like after the draft, you hear a lot of NFL teams saying that Andrew Thomas, with his versatility, being able to play on the right side, the left side with his strength at the point of attack and with his length, he was the highest value tackle. And you double down in the third round with the compensatory pick and take Matt Parrott, who's more of a developmental guy. And then the fifth round, you get Shane Lemieux. And then you add, obviously, free agency. Cam Fleming, who has a rapport with Jason Garrett and more importantly with Mark Colombo, who was his coach down there in Dallas. And that's the real that's the crux of it all for me is replacing Hal Hunter with Mark Colombo, because football is all about the unit, right? You're only as strong as your weakest link. Well, no unit is more important than the offensive line when it comes to communication, cohesiveness, and being able to stay on the field so that that offensive line has rapport. And that was something the Giants' offensive line was able to do last year. They were on the field the majority of the time together, but they still lacked so much rapport. And it seemed like they were out-schemed by defensive coordinators going back to the Buccaneers game when Todd Bowles was just scheming up pressures to just manipulate the the pass protection of the offensive line. He would scheme three versus two against Will Hernandez and Nate Solder several Several times, and Nate Solder couldn't handle anything when it came to Shaq Barrett, who just put him basically in a washing machine, just kept turning him. He was a turnstile in that game. It was kind of a miracle the Giants ended up winning that game. Also, you can thank a missed field goal for that, but the Giants still won that game. And then after that, you saw defensive coordinators just kind of replicate it, and there was never any great adjustments by the offensive line of the Giants. You saw in the Vikings game, the Patriots game, you saw in the Jets game, Greg Williams just had a field day because Spencer Pulley started that game and then Eric Smith had to play because Nate Solder who everybody bashes because he is not that great he did not have a good season but we saw what happened when Eric Smith had to start how important Nate Solder was to that team right it's kind of actually fascinating when you think about that but what the Giants did in this offseason bringing in Mark Colombo bringing in Cameron Fleming and drafting pair Andrew Thomas obviously Shane Lemieux I mean dude that's gonna go a long way and it's this is the first year where I'm comfortable as a Giants fan, looking forward at that offensive line unit and being like, okay, there's a plan in place and there's a direction because it did not seem like there has been that for quite some time. Yeah, there's a plan in place. There's a direction. I still think it's possible this plan is more suited for development. It's a good plan. It's a good idea to draft and develop players. This is what we've been asking for for so long. Draft, develop, resign, develop. Bring guys in and let them learn multiple years. They have their gates coming back. They're going to have, you know... Both Perte and uh, a Perte and is it Perte or Perte? I don't even know. It's it's Perte, I believe. Both Perte and Thomas in this Mark Colombo system. You know, very gap heavy power. And 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 I have a question, by the way, an interesting question regarding the system change and the personnel that I'm going to ask as we as we move forward. But just keep that in mind. It just popped in my head. I don't want to I don't want to jump the gun now. But like I said, they're developing they're developing specific players for this system, I believe, and it's going to be a process. It's going to take some time. But I wouldn't be surprised if they hit the ground running with a better offensive line than what they had last year because that's not – you know, there's not much 
there's no, not much reason to believe they won't be better than what they were last year because they weren't good last year. I understand some metrics say they were an okay offensive line, but according to us, grading the grading the this this team based on what we see on the All 22, and of course some of those those metrics we talked about, like how often Dan Jones was under pressure. Simply put, it wasn't a good offensive line. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners, BetOnline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and BetOnline is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, boxing, NASCAR, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. Looking for something else other than sports? BetOnline has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. Visit BetOnline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Okay, Nick, let's break it down like this. Let's go position by position, options at each position, and rank those options. Then we'll go into past what we saw on tape and what we what we need to improve for the players that were already on the roster and then moving forward with the players who weren't. So let's start with left tackle. In my mind, there are actually three options to play the position at some point in 2020. Nate Solder, the incumbent, Andrew Thomas, and Cam Fleming because Cam Fleming has experience playing the left side with both Dallas and New England on championship roster with New England. I'm pretty sure he had some snaps at left tackle. I know he had some snaps at right. So... In your mind, rank these options, and then let's dive into the players. I think it's uh, I think it's interesting to say the least on who should start that left tackle position right. because I can hear an argument for Solder or for Andrew Thomas because Andrew Thomas, more than likely, is going to be the long term left tackle of this team. So why even wait? Let's just put him there now since Nate Solder did struggle and have Nate Solder adapt to the right side. But I think it's going to come down. I don't want to cop out of the question, but I think it's going to come down to the practice reps. Because I'm not even sure how – I know Andrew Thomas was an All-American as a right tackle. I don't really know how Nate Solder is right. on the right side. So I don't want to cop out of that answer, but I believe the combination will be – I think the first people will get the crack, I should say. It's going to be Solder and Thomas. And right now, if I'm a betting man, I'm going to put probably Thomas on the right side, Solder on the left to start and then see. But again, if Solder can master the footwork of the right tackle, then I think that it's prudent for them to actually – execute that course of action to put Andrew Thomas on the left side because that's going to be his long-term spot. As for Cam Fleming, I think he's going to be the ideal swing tackle because if anything happens, it could be struggling of Nate Solder. It could be injury to either Thomas or Solder. You have Fleming who has experience at both tackle positions. So I think he is the third player in those three, but he's a very, very strong third, whereas Nate Solder isn't exactly a strong two right now. And that's and that's putting Andrew Thomas as the number one. I mean, he's the future, but the guy's never played down in the NFL. Yeah, I think um, I know I'm in the minority with this take, Nick. Um, I believe that I, what I want here from the Giants in 2020 is the best possible combination of left tackle and right tackle. I don't want the best left tackle and an OK right tackle. I don't want the best right tackle and OK left tackle. I'm not really worried about this. If Andrew Thomas is your left tackle of the future, put him there now. Because Andrew Thomas played right tackle his first season at Georgia, played it really well, and smoothly transitioned to left tackle. A year at right tackle with the Giants is not going to negatively impact him at right tackle, no matter what hot takes you read on Twitter, no matter what people keep spewing out there about that point, because it's a bad take, in my opinion. It's a very uneducated take. Now, if I'm looking for the best options, I'm a little bit troubled by the idea that Nate Solder at right tackle will work out. This is a guy, it's not like the Andrew Thomas situation where he's 22 years, this is a guy who's 10 years older than Thomas. His feet are not moving the same way they used to. His bend is not the same as it used to be. He's not someone who can just play. I don't, to my opinion, he's not someone who can just, I think he's winning and not winning. I should say, I think he's staying alive, which was more of his 2019 season. And even at times in 2018, more so because of repetitions on the left side because of muscle memory playing left tackle position. And I'm not so sure that translates so fast to right tackle. Now, you're right. You have to see it in camp. You have to see it in the reps. I might be way off on this. It's very possible that he can just step right in at right tackle. He's already said he's willing to make the transition. 
it's possible. I mean, Andrew Thomas did it, right? And he's a younger player. He's a younger athlete. But it seems possible, right? I, I would say that it, it is definitely possible, but it's it's kind of tough to really predict because we've never seen it. Now, Nate Solder struggled mightily. mightily. That's something that he's been doing for the last 10 years at a professional level. So to think that he can just step in in, the, in this truncated offseason that we always talk about and just master the right side and not struggle when pass rushes are just as dangerous on that side, it, just, it gives me pause. It definitely yep. gives me pause. So Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're just as dangerous there. Khalil Max on that side. There's plenty. Marcus Lawrence. There's plenty. Of, the, the whole left versus right thing is, is an so old overrated. school take. It's an old school overrated take. There's no such thing as you'd rather have a left tackle than a right tackle. You need OTs. You need both. They're just, to me, they're equally as important. And in that regard, I'm not sold that Andrew Thomas at left tackle and Cam Meredith at right tackle will certainly be better than, or I'm sorry, and Cam Fleming at right tackle. I'm going to get this Cam Meredith, Cam Fleming thing right at some point. But quite clearly, Cam Meredith has burned me so much to a point in fantasy football that I can't get his name out of my head. I really thought he was going to work in that Sean Payton system with the Saints. He might have if he, if he, if the injury, man, the injury that he suffered with Chicago. He could never really overcome it. He Somebody had everything was going. Fantasy breakout gone wrong. But the point is, I'm not sold that Fleming at right and Thomas at left is better than Soldier at left and Thomas at right. And I want the best possible two OTs for Daniel Jones. I don't care. That's it. It's it's a it's a point blank. Blunt. I'll be blunt with this. That's the best thing for this team. That's the best thing for Jones. Most importantly, at the same time, I also think. On a team that's going to be using a lot more pulling guards, a team that's going to be using a lot more power, pin and pull, the idea of having Thomas on the right side and Zeitler next to him with Hernandez pulling seems pretty damn good to me. I feel like that gives them the best possible option on those pull plays to have that to be going right to the right side to be you know directing the run right with Hernandez pulling because we've seen Hernandez when he pulls. He's made some awesome blocks to open up a long Barkley run against the Eagles that I remember that comes to mind. He's had... Three or four plays on tape that I, I can remember off the top of my head. Do you have any that, that just come to your mind from watching Will? Well, the most common uh, power gap concept yeah. that Pat Shermer ran was a was a pull from Hernandez to the six hole. And the six hole is in between the tight end and the tackle. Yep. And basically what Pat Shermer would do would there be a three technique and the guard and the tackle would double team and climb and the tight end who was tasked to block down on that five and Hernandez would pull around and then just be that lead blocker for Barkley. And he did that a lot. That was the one power gap scheme that he ran a lot. And Hernandez pulled quite, quite a bit, actually going back and looking through the film. I was like, wow, he pulled more than I actually yeah. thought. And they, and you know what? It was actually pretty effective because Remmers was solid on those kind of plays. But I think, yeah, you're right. But Andrew Thomas blocking down like that, climbing, yes. the fountain of a man that he is getting up to that second level, that's going to be something that's going to be really enticing on the right side of the line of scrimmage. And I, are you sold that that Solder could do that on the right side? I, I mean, I think Solder is a solid run blocker. He, he is actually a solid did, down blocker. Yeah. He really is. That's probably his best trade at this point in his career. I, I 100% agree. I mean, he uses yeah. his frame well. He frames the blocks well. Yeah. He gets his body in between him and the defender, and he still has strength. He doesn't really get bullied. His, his solid th- reach, too, because of his yeah. length. Because his length, of course. Uh, his liabilities are mainly in pass protection. Yeah. Giving defend defenders two-way goes. It's just positioning. It's his kick slide. It's a lot of stuff like that, and that's kind of where— his liabilities lay. The fact that he's a taller dude, he allows his pad level to rise, and then once the defender attacks the half man, it's just like turnstile, goodbye, and yeah. just lets people through. And we saw that just throughout the entire season. But as a run blocker in this gap power scheme, blocking down, I, I don't mind that from Solder. Yeah, I, you know, I can get on. I, I agree with that. For me, when I came back, I was going to try to get to this. Let's end the where these guys should play to be because I really do agree that for the most part it needs to be decided with the reps because if Solder can kick over, it's definitely probably in their best interest to have Thomas in the left side and Solder on the right, and I'm fine with that based on what you said. Solder's still a pretty solid run blocker and can execute what he's going to be asked to do under Colombo in the run game. My question is this. Let's go back and look at the tackles individually for a second. From what you've seen from Solder, and again, remember, just to harp back on this, both me and Nick Filato were big, big believers that at the second half of 2018, or I'm sorry, and Nick Turchin, big believers that in the second half of the 2018 season, 
Nate Solder was a really good offensive lineman on the Giants, the best on that team besides maybe Hernandez. But to me, I think we graded him slightly higher if I remember back to what to us reviewing that 2018 tape. I mean, I watched every all 22 game too back yeah. then before I was on the podcast, and I do agree he was he was solid. It was a very rocky start, but it was a solid finish for sure. And people yes. were kind of overlooking that given the state of the Giants that year. Exactly, and you're right. This, that's exactly how I saw it. The start wasn't good. Those first six games were rough for him. And, and especially with Will Hernandez next to him. They kind of coincided together during that 2018 season. Those first games were really rough for Hernandez. But they both seemed to play so well together in 2018. So why, in your opinion, do you think, it, especially with the same system coming back in, really not much change at center? I guess just the fact that Jalapio, you know, even though Pulley was in the year before and Jalapio is coming off the injury, what do you think changed so much from what you've seen on tape was Solder from that second half of 2018, why didn't it carry over into 2019? I mean, I think every every year and every rep really should be analyzed in a vacuum when you're trying to analyze and uh, kind of break down how these guys play. I think the fact that Eli Manning wasn't in at quarterback to help with protections and stuff like that as well probably is something that hurt the offense as a whole. No knock on Daniel Jones, but Eli is a seasoned veteran. Daniel Jones is a rookie stepping in. And then when it just comes to his play, I just think defenses, defensive coordinators were really just scheming to outperform how Hunter's unit. And I didn't see much of a, I mean, obviously there are adjustments from the offensive line, but it seemed like the adjustments were never cohesive. It seemed like they never really meshed as a unit. And honestly, it seemed like Will Hernandez was put into some really crappy situations because of the two guys playing next to him. I I honestly think that's what led to his, I know we're not at guards yet, but I honestly, and we'll get into this, think that's what led to his huge regression. While there are other factors, of course, he's not, you know, blameless in it. But I think Nate Solder's just inability to be effective in pass protection, along with John Alapio's kind of strength at the point of attack, I just think defensive coordinators were just scheming heavily to just manipulate the protections from Hal Hunter's standpoint and because they knew that Solder was basically kind of long in the tooth at this point. It, and uh, there were injury too. There were injury, like people said, like, oh, man, he has a little injury, and it kind of got brushed under the rug. So that has to be weighed in too. Yeah. Because we're not really 100% sure. You know, we don't know what's actually wrong with him from a physical standpoint. He was out there, though, on Sunday. You expect him to perform, and he just was not putting himself in a position to do so. And in addition to the injuries, he had some serious off-field concerns yes. with, his, with his family um, and his son. So, you know, who knows what kind of mental toll that took on him. All these things should be considered, but it was interesting because I agree with you. When I went back and watched more of the, you know, rewatched the All-22 I saw a lot of weird situations where it seemed like Hernandez was like on an island that I didn't expect him to be on that kind of island. And then, you know, he did get burned a lot in those one basically what seemed like the closest thing to those senior bowl type one on one reps that I that I saw translate to the NFL, I would say. And it seemed like he did get burned on a lot of those with, with moves by those interior de- defensive line guys. And that may just be a drawback in Hernandez's game in general. He was always coming into the NFL as somebody who, you know, wasn't necessarily stiff in the hips, but somebody who was expected if there was going to be a problem, it was going to be in pass protection with Hernandez. I think especially as he translated from UTEP to the NFL, I think that was fair to at least consider. Um, but, you know, let's move right there. But we can go left to right now because we kind of did a little overview of the tackles. Will Hernandez, that was the biggest regression on the entire offensive line. Unlike Zeitler, who played through multiple reported injuries, Hernandez really didn't have much of a peep to say from the injury front. Um, but his play did regress. Now, my question for you is this. Is there a ceiling on him as a pass blocker? Because I think he was better in the run game. I don't think there was as much regression there as there was in the pass game. That's one. Two, can we expect a massive – if that's not the case, if there's no ceiling, is the jump going to be as easy as going to having a better coach in Mark Colombo, a better offensive line coach, going to a system that's more like what he played at UTEP with more power and gap? Where are we at with Hernandez? What? That's the biggest question mark to me. What happened with Will Hernandez last year? It was obviously a regressed year. I mean, for the pro football stats, if you want to pull it up, I want to say, yeah, Hernandez ranked 74th in offense last season, 33rd in pass blocking, actually, and 117th as a run blocker. But the year prior, his rookie year, 2018, he was 26th in offense, much better, 38th in pass blocking, slightly worse, but still relatively the same, and 42nd in run blocking, which is a huge difference. It was his run blocking that received a really poor grade in in this past season, but like I went through, I watched, I watched so much Will Hernandez tape over the last couple of weeks. Cause I'm putting a piece together for big blue view. 
And I'll say when it comes to his pass protection, he has an excellent anchor. He has an ability to reposition himself that is incre- that is incredibly kind of eye-popping. And one rep, if you want to go and watch it, I don't know the timestamp on the rep, but it's against Vita Vea, who was destroying John Jalapio the entire game, where Vita Vea was a two-technique. And he opened Hernandez up outside with like a hard outside foot jab. And Hernandez was he was vulnerable to the outside and then Vita Vea just shot the inside gap and Hernandez had to readjust and the way he was able to engage his core and his lower body and position himself directly in front of Vea, just protecting the pocket, readjusting with his hands. It was really eye popping where I was like, holy crap, man, that that is an excellent rep from Will Hernandez against a very, very strong player in Vea. And he was able to do that a lot. I actually thought his his pass protection was pretty solid last year, especially when you look at who he was playing next to. And especially when you think about the the stunts and the twists and just the blitzing linebackers that were just getting through because nobody was calling them out or picking them up. Saw that a lot in the Vikings game. There were a couple of times when Anthony Barr would blitz in and John Alapio called Eric Kendrick slid protection to the right. And it was actually Anthony Barr on the other side blitzing through the uh, B gap. And I think it was the play where um, Sterling Shepard actually really just juke the crap out of Trey Waynes on a double move and was wide open. And then Anthony Barr nails Daniel Jones and Jones puts the ball like an, a yard over the top of Sterling Shepard would have been an easy touchdown. But on that play, they schemed two versus one on Will Hernandez who had to block Lindell Joseph, I believe it was. And then uh, Anthony Barr coming through that same gap while uh, Solder was dealing with Everson Griffin outside and Jalapio was like kind of like doing nothing on the other side. I think he went to help out. But that's the one thing I'll say about Hernandez. I think his pass protection was was solid given everything that was around him. Now, there were times where he was tasked, say he was going up against a four tech. He was tasked to chip the four tech in pass protection. And then, no, 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 no. It would be against the run. I'm sorry. He would have to chip the four tech and try to climb the linebacker. But every time that happened, it happened, I think, twice, once against the Eagles, once against the Jets that I saw. It was a linebacker blitz that he didn't pick up, and he wasn't athletic enough to get over after chipping the four-tech to that A-gap, to the, to the center, to locate the linebacker, and it blew up the play in the backfield. Saquon Barkley lost a play. And we've kind of seen that a few times throughout the year where the team just – where Saquon Barkley would get the ball and there'd be a guy right in his lap. That's because of excellent yeah. scheming by the defensive coordinator. And I think they might have been like, yo, if there's a four-tech on the field, we know Hernandez is going to chip. And if we have the – uh, one shade shoot inside on the opposite side of the line of scrimmage to take Jalapio that way. There's going to be a huge void. If we think they're running the ball, there's going to be a huge void between Hernandez and Jalapio that we can blitz our linebacker who's stacked on that four technique through. And I saw that twice, once against the uh, once against the Jets, once against the Eagles, and it was easy uh, loss, loss of yardage for the Giants. So there was a lot of scheming going on behind it. But uh, there were times where I thought Hernandez was lethargic as well which is something that you do not want to hear because lethargic, you know, it's relative to being <laughs> lazy. But there were times where I felt like he's allowed his pad level to get high. You know, he would give up his chest quite often, to be honest, which is something that you do not want to do. But he would, and, and that would give stronger guys like Jonathan Allen an ability to swim over top of him, which happened a couple times, or just control his chest and throw him to the throw him backwards. So there were a lot of things that he had to work on, but I thought his footwork was better than I uh, expected from the pass protection side of things. Yeah, and those are coaching things. Those are things I think can be coached. Uh, would you agree with that? Those are things that can easily be improved with good coaching. I, I 100% agree Especially with that. Yeah. just the idea of, you know, part of what – the technique is, is obviously going to improve with good coaching, but – Part of the idea is also that some of these offensive line coaches are so good that they get their offensive line to want to play harder for them, and they get them to feel like it's more of a one-for-all fight on that offensive line and inspire kind of that 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 passion to play the position more more so, and to kind of you know that lack of lethargic lethargism, lethargic, if that's even a word, <laughs> you know, being lethargic on the line, I don't even know, but. That that drive, that one, that passion for playing the position and playing with your teammates there in within that system, within the system that Hal Hunter put out, or now Mark Colombo is going to put out. So, I think for me with Hernandez, I was a little alarmed when I saw. I saw, you know, from I, maybe it's just the games that I went back and looked at, but I definitely thought that there were some pass there were some pass protection reps that really just stood out to me, where I was just like, yeah, no. One thing though that um. That if you go back and you watch, there's a lot of times where Hernandez might be might have made a mistake, but I always felt like he tried to have eyes on the side of his head to really like watch Solder after Solder gave up a bunch yeah. of yeah yeah that's friends. the problem. And but Solder's was, taking such wide angle, like Solder was giving. There was just it was it was tough for him there. I I agree. 
100% that he was put on an island way too many times, A. B, there were just way too much space between him and Solder on a lot of these reps. And then when you also factor in the fact that he knows Jalapio or, or Pulley are getting pushed back into the pocket often, and he has to help out there too. It, it was a lot of work for Hernandez, for sure. It was overwhelming for any yeah. young lineman. One rep that comes to mind too, he was going up against a bear front. So basically there's a zero tech and two three techniques, and it was against the Jets. And he was going up against Nathan Shepard, who was a three technique. And Nate Shepard, he's obviously on the outside shoulder of Hernandez. He shoots inside hard, and Hernandez tries to crash Shepard into where Jalapio would be. But Jalapio was getting pushed back by whoever the nose technique was. So basically he just crashed him to like the side of where no one was and just rode him right into the pocket. And it ended up being a uh, loss of yardage or maybe even, I think it was a sack or like an incomplete, a little short incomplete pass to Daniel Jones from Daniel Jones. So it's like, he always expected something to be there where on a competent offensive line, it would have been there. Right. But for whatever reason, it wasn't a competent offensive line and it wasn't there. And this is still a second year player too. Obviously he regressed in play, but it's a second-year player, still a very young player who was surrounded by mediocrity. So that's something that we have to keep in mind when evaluating Will Hernandez. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And, you know, speaking of moving forward, we can be pretty sure Will Hernandez will be the starter at left guard. We don't know exactly what will happen yet at left tackle. We're banking on it most likely being Solder or Andrew Thomas. But what about center? Because me and you have been long-time truthers that the center position has been a main, main, main reason why this offensive line has not moved forward. To me, center is probably the most underrated position on the NFL, on the field. I really do believe that based on where they're drafted. Although teams are starting to get smarter, teams are starting to get a lot smarter about the center position and drafting it higher. But as far as that goes, I believe it's still a very underrated position. And I just think that when you have these guys like Jalapeo and Pulley that are just so not that are just not strong enough, simply put, at, at at the point of attack, their play strength is just not up to par. It puts you in a tough position. It puts the guard in a tough position, and it puts the quarterback in a tough position. That interior pocket integrity is to me more important almost than what happens on the edges because a quarterback can a really good quarterback like even Eli in his prime. You look back at that 2011 tape can step up through pressure from the exterior. Now, when it's coming on the interior, Brady, Eli, any of these guys, Payton, that's when it's a trouble because <laughs> that's when they get in trouble because these guys don't have the athleticism. Even Daniel Jones, who's an athletic quarterback, we don't want him moving laterally on every play trying to throw from an off-balance platform. That's not going to lead to any kind of sustained success. So with that said, here are our options. They have not re-signed Jalapeo yet, and they gave away his jersey number. Shane Lemieux. Guy who started 53 games at guard at Oregon. Power 5 program. One of the best programs in, in college football. They're all at guard. Can he transition to center? Maybe. From a physical standpoint, it certainly seems possible to me. From a mental standpoint, I think that's where you run into the hurdles. The idea of, you know, just how mental, how mentally based playing the center position is these days in today's NFL. Especially with a young quarterback. Um, other options include Pulley again. Throw Pulley back into the mix. Why not? Here's a guy you signed from the Chargers because he probably you probably thought he was an underrated fit for your zone-heavy scheme. Well, now we're going to a power and gap scheme. Where's this guy going to fit in? I don't like him. I don't want him starting. But the options are getting slimmer. How about the final one? Nick Gates, Nick. What about Nick Gates? Here's a guy who started two, ta- two games, like we said, at right tackle, one at right guard. So here's – I know you've done extensive work on Gates. I'm not sure where you're at with Pulley and what you've studied on Pulley. I want you to give me an idea, an overview of what could happen at this position if Gates can play it, if Lemieux can realistically play it early in 2020 or at any point in 2020, or if ultimately you like what you saw a little bit more than I did from Pulley and you think he he will be the starter or you think he should be the starter. Where are we at here on at the center position? I think Pulley will be the starter because of everything that's going on right now. I think if it wasn't for COVID and this was just a normal, if this was 2019, I think the cross training between Shane Lemieux, Nick Gates, and even Kyle Murphy, you could throw him in there. Granted, he's not really up there to be someone who's going to start, but between Lemieux and Nick Gates, I think they would be cross trained almost every day. And it seems like, you know, according to social media that they are cross training, you know, obviously independent of the team right now to attempt to be center. 
But like you said, man, it's such a mental position. There's so much that goes into playing center that I'm not fully confident that Lemieux or Gates can get up to speed enough to really win that starting center job. So I think the starting center job is going to go to Pulley. And honestly, with Gates, man, I think Gates stepped in and he played really well at tackle. He really opened my eyes to how good he can possibly be. But then when he started at guard against Miami, he was getting he was getting controlled pretty yeah. easily by those, especially Christian Wilkins and even by Davin Godshaw and a couple of the other interior defensive linemen. There was a huge strength in the, the right attack issue. The pass, oh, it was a strength to the point of attack issue in the pass yeah. game or the run game. It was in the run game. Yeah. Like, I think his anchor is an issue, whereas like Will Hernandez, I love Will Hernandez's anchor, but I think his yeah. anchor is an issue. And we saw it a little bit when he was uh, when he was playing at tackle but he was able to you know bend a lot but not break which is something that you're kind of looking for but he, he was getting no push at all when he was playing guard against those dolphins those big boys on the dolphins line man so i think that's good that's an that's an issue that's and they're way 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 more talented and bigger interior lines than the miami dolphins were 2019 let's be clear our, about that and gates doesn't not really have you our biggest yes. knock on Jalapio, man. Our biggest just... knock on Jalapio. It's my biggest knock on Pulley. I don't see it there either. And with Gates, here's a guy. If you look at his body of work, not only his athletic frame, but overall what he's done throughout his career, playing tackles entire career at Nebraska, basically, he projects as more of a tackle. He's the body type of a tackle. He's the frame of a tackle, and he has more experience there as well. So while it's a nice Cinderella story maybe to consider him at center, I'm not as high as, you know, some of other, you know, Giants fans and whatnot are on the possibility of Gates at center. And I, I from basically from what you just said, I feel like you're in the same boat there. I, I 100% agree. But Shane Lemieux, now, if this yeah. was the normal offseason, he's someone who's really interesting. Yes, he's never played center, but when it comes to that, like, you know, we want somebody who can just move bodies off yes. the line of scrimmage. That's Shane Lemieux, that strength, that power. That's what he possessed at the guard position that can easily translate to the center position, but it's the mental side of it that we're not 100% sure. And there's obviously a lot of differences between playing guard and center. Can he master that in the short off season, in the short training camp that he's going to receive? I, I I don't think he's going to get the first crack at it. I think it's going to go to Pulley. We'll see how Pulley will probably be a game-to-game evaluation basis, see how he kind of goes. But if Pulley can't generate that kind of power at the point of attack, they may look to replace him with Lemieux. By all accounts, Lemieux, A, he's incredibly tough amazing but he's also a really smart player that's what people at Oregon have kind of heralded about him so I think uh I think that could be an interesting thing as the season goes on and if if Pulley really proves to be a liability which I don't want to say he's going to be a liability but I'm not overly confident in our center position right now yeah and for me Nick I I feel the same way I I've watched Lemieux I've read a lot about Lemieux he fits what I'm looking for at the center position he is a people mover like you said and I don't I don't want to say it's definitely going to happen, but I think that there's a there's a solid chance that at some point he will be making starts at center for the Giants this season because at some point they're going to – it's hard, so hard to say because it's so hard to predict this COVID stuff, but I feel like at some point they're going to be able to get to the point from a rep standpoint, both mentally and, and you know in the physical reps, that they feel comfortable trying him there. And I think once he gets in and he gets that shot in this system and this power gap-based system that we expect them to go to – it's just going to be night and day what we see, uh, what they see on tape, him and you know him versus Pulley from from that standpoint. Especially, yeah, especially from that strength, the point from of attack, the point of his strength, yeah. yeah. And yeah. the same would go for Gates as well there. So no offense to Gates, but like you said, when he played at guard, it wasn't as pretty. You know, he got overwhelmed a lot at the point of attack. He did. I I do like the fact that they are cross training him, and Gates is a young player, and he's going to make a really good swing offensive lineman if he can yes. kind of master these positions. And that's the one thing, man. Going into 2019, you looked at that tackle position. Going into 2020, you look at this tackle position and the additions that the Giants made, and you have Nick Gates, who's played really well, and you add Cameron Fleming, and you spend two premium draft picks on high end offensive tackles, man. It, like the future should be bright here. The future should be bright, but when is it going to all materialize? And hopefully there's even a season for it to materialize. But that's exactly. A conversation, man. That's a, exactly. That's a whole nother conversation that we have to dive into at some point. Let's move it on. Let's move it on to the right guard position. I think we're pretty in lockstep here that Kevin Zeitler will be starting. There's no real debate there. My question for you more so would be Kevin Zeitler was obviously not the same player in 2019 moving systems to the Giants playing alongside Pulian Alapio. Playing alongside Mike Remmers, uh, that he was with the Cleveland Browns. Um, 
what happened with Zeitler? Is it mostly an injury situation there that was the issue? Or, you know, is there something deeper here that we don't know about with Zeitler that we need to worry about moving forward? I honestly don't think there's anything that deep. I think Zeitler played well, given the, again, like I said earlier in the podcast, offensive line should be evaluated as a unit. And the unit itself was was just not up to NFL standards. It really was not. But Zeitler, independent of the unit, I felt like he executed his assignments relatively well as a pass blocker and a run blocker, put himself into good position. And I mean, pro football focus gave him solid grades, but I think he was by far the most effective Giants offensive lineman last year. And I don't even think it's really a, a question. And he was also like Will Hernandez playing next to Jalapio. And that's no knock on John Jalapio, but he's not you know, he's, he's a replacement level center. And then he had Mike Remmers, who was a replacement level tackle. And I actually think Remmers played better than a lot of people expected, mainly because he stayed healthy, which was his big bugaboo throughout most of his right. career. But I, I'm not worried about Kevin Zeitler going forward. I, I, I think he's going to be, a. I think as the unit gets more stable, all the players will look better within the unit because if one person is not playing well in that unit, that entire unit's going to look like crap. And that's basically the story of the 2019 Giants offensive line. Yeah, exactly. And I want to make it clear. I don't think Kevin Zeitler played anywhere close to bad football last year, especially considering the injuries. I think he played great, but I think it was a step back from 2018 where he was one of the best guards in the entire NFL. And so I think that, the hope, the ceiling is that because he did it for multiple years there where he was ranked top 10 pro football focus. And, you know, most people believed he was a snub from those pro bowl, all pro type teams, at least second, third team at worst. If he can get back to that, I think there's a chance he can definitely get back to that. I do, I'm not concerned about the Giants moving away from that zone heavy scheme to more power and gap because during his entire collegiate career, at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, that's a pow- that's a heavy power gap scheme there. That is just all power there. That's the that's their whole shit. So I mean, they they've mixed in zone. Every team uses a bit of both, except for uh, mostly the Pat Shermer offense, which is just a whole lot of zone. But you know, even some power and gap, as you said, there was a little bit of mix. But the point is, Zeitler's done it before, and he can do it again. He's someone I'm excited about. I think he can have a much better season this year. I would actually say of him, Hernandez, Solder, Zeitler has by far and away the best chance of bouncing back to the extent of biggest jump from 2019 to 2020 overall play um no i i can't disagree with you and he's still a relatively young player too i don't have his age I think in he's front of me just but turning 30 yeah oh i want to say yeah he was on the uh Fine the back- for an offensive lineman yeah i he has at least another good couple years left in at him hopefully hopefully but again he has to stay healthy but i think again just to harp on this bringing in mark colombo replacing hal hunter who yeah. was basically there because of <laughs> nepotism nepotism and you know i hate to just crap on a guy on his way out the door but in cleveland it was not a good unit comes to the giants because he's after being out of football he was out of football no one hired no one hired him like it's you kind of connect the tea leaves and you're like okay there's something here you know and and there really was something there obviously if you're a head coach you want to bring in guys who you you shouldn't want to be this way but if you're a head coach who doesn't like confrontation which pat Shermer was you want to bring in guys who are not going to confront you are kind of all like-minded and that's good to an extent, but it's not good if you're not succeeding because then you're not going to think about ways to kind of get better. And it didn't seem like that, that unit ever did that. And it seemed to really pop off because in the Dallas game, it wasn't terrible. The bills game, it wasn't terrible. Week three, Tampa Bay, Daniel Jones, first start. It seemed like, and it could be because it was Daniel Jones first start, but it seemed like Todd Bowles was like, okay, we're going to do all this nifty, Nifty four man pressure. We're just gonna bring four, but <laughs> good luck blocking it. And you know what? It really messed with the uh, the protections just with four men, with the twists and the stunts and the responsibilities. And then it just seemed like defensive coordinators just kept doing that down the line. And the Giants' protection was just crap the rest of the season. And uh, Daniel Jones was still able to overcome a lot of that and have a solid rookie year. If his name wasn't Daniel Jones, we'd probably be hearing a lot more about how good he did in 2019. I completely agree with that take. Um, and I, I think there's still some concern long-term with Jones. I'm not sold on him yet fully. I'm close, but I'm not fully there. Um, and But I think a lot of the hate is, again, just pre-established draft takes that people need to you know, stand by so they can go ahead and be right eventually from that standpoint. Um, but before we wrap up our talk on the offensive line, I want to get a few more a few more topics in here. So we know we've talked left tackle, right tackle. We know that it's going to probably be some combination of Solder 
and Thomas with Fleming being the swing guard. But I want to get your take then on those final two tackles. One, what have you seen from Fleming, and would you be comfortable with him starting? Where would you? How would you compare him, let's say, to a Mike Remmers? And then after that, I want to hear what your expectations are from from Pert in in his rookie season. As for Cam Fleming, I'm comfortable with him spot starting. And Mike Remmer started the entire season and actually played pretty well. Cam Fleming, I feel like he had – I did a piece on him when the Giants first signed him. And I saw like issues with pad level and, and just like normal things like that. I thought uh, as a pass protector, he sometimes with his feet weren't as clean as some of the other – players in the league but i would be fine with him starting to be honest if he has to in spot duty i think he's an excellent swing tackle like i said i don't think he's a long-term issue that you really want but in his position with the giants and given what the giants have had in the past as swing tackles not including nick gates it hasn't been that pretty so i i like the fact that he's a swing tackle if he has to start he has to start and i think the giants could do worse in that situation as for parrot I think it's development, man. It's a lot of development. He has all the athletic tools. He has the length. He, I mean, he looks great in a uniform. He has like no fat on his body. It seems like I was again, I was able to talk to him down at the senior bowl. Very nice guy, but strength at the point of attack, man. He played at UConn. So he was able to be out of position and not use the correct technique because he was playing against defenders that he was much superior to. Yeah. He's not gonna be able to do that in the NFL. He he's gonna have he's gonna have to use good technique because his strength is not quite there. His anchor, he can get pushed back. He's pretty lean. He needs to get a little bit more muscular. So I don't necessarily want Pear to play this season. But give it another year, see how he develops, see if he gets stronger, see if he takes to the technique and the coaching. Mark Colombo, I think we could be looking at Andrew Thomas, Matt Parrott as a one-two combination. Whether that's Parrott at the left side, Thomas at the right side, or Parrott at the right side and Thomas at the left side, that could be a two-man tackle combination that could be the face of the Giants for quite some time. And that's what we're all hoping for, but development has to ensue for that to happen. Yeah, I have some similar feelings on this. I think for starters, Cam Fleming could be better than people expect. I think he signed with the Giants because he played in the division, saw an opportunity based on hearsay, based on the fact that everybody knows the Giants were weak at the tackle positions. Um, and there's a little bit of untapped potential there. From everything I've read from from Cowboys experts that watch the tape that I really trust and respect, it's for him it's more of an issue of just some reps look like a true a true bona fide starter that could start on any team, and others just look like, what the hell is this guy doing out there? Um, so that's definitely a concern. But you never know as, as he moves forward again. He's going to have an, a leg up on some of these guys because he's played under Mark Colombo and Jason Garrett, and he knows the system. And that goes with Matt Parate because, you know, some of it is going to be him going into 2021 more bulked up with more size added on to him. But a, a lot of it is also going to be he's going to be in year two of the same, hopefully we, we assume, the same system with Jason Garrett and Mark Colombo. And he's going to have a leg up for that reason. But I also would, would not be totally surprised if Parate started – if he was forced to start a game in 2020, if he looked good. And my third hot take on this regard with regards to this, Nick, would be that I'm not so sold long-term, at least, that Parrott won't be the best pass protector of this of the, of this rookie class. From what I've seen from Andrew Thomas, you know, there's a reason I had him as my OT4. It's not just to stand out or be different. And you had the same thing, Nick. I mean, you might have had him OT3, I believe, or OT. were you OT4 as well? Uh, I was OT4, and then about two or three weeks before the draft, I moved him ahead of Tristan Wirfs, right? Yeah. I yeah. think I felt the same way at the end ahead of Wirfs. There's just a lot of issues with Wirfs that started to concern me more. Um, and I, I actually had him as OT2, I think, by the time draft because okay. Beck, Beckton was so kind of close. Yeah. yeah. And it, it, is, it is ridiculously close. We're not talking about like massive differences between one, two, three, four. Don't go by just the rankings. But the point is, Pass protection-wise, I, I can see more upside potentially just because of length and s how smooth he is m moving with Parrott versus Thomas and pass pro. Is that crazy? No, it's not crazy. Parrott's feet are much more smoother and just fluid and quicker than Thomas, who's a little bit more has, – has heavier feet, I guess yeah. is a way you could say. And that's a big knock in the scouting community. I'm not meaning to – mention that but when you juxtapose him and then analyze him next to Pert, Pert is much more fluid with his feet because he's a better athlete in that in that regard but Andrew Thomas does a lot of other things a lot better than Matt Pert, and especially right. when it comes to the run game yeah no doubt I mean Andrew Thomas is, is definitely a better offensive tackle right now and he probably will be the better offensive tackle long term but 
I don't think it's crazy to think that Parrot might be the better pass, pass protector for this team. And I'm interested to see, see it whenever we do see it, probably 2021. But I, again, I won't be shocked if he's forced to play in 2020, if he's better than people think or he's more ready than people think. All right, Nick, a few other guys to touch on here. The Giants obviously signed uh, undrafted free agent Kyle Murphy, the, the the guy who we expect to move inside to center, maybe try to compete there. They have – who else do they have coming back here? They have um, – who was the other kid they got undrafted from this year? I'm totally drawing a blank now on his name. I don't know. Tyler why. Haycraft. Yes. Haycraft. Anything you have on those two guys or any of the guys they're bringing back in addition to Gates? I like Kyle Murphy because he would, again, he played at Rhode Island and yeah. he was like a stud tackle there, but he's played center. He's played a little bit of guard. So he's played all along those lines. He was the team captain, as was Tyler Haycraft, who's a little bit undersized. He pre- played opposite of Makai Becton at Louisville, but he's another one who's a mean run blocker, too. I think Murphy has a chance to make this team because I think the Giants really liked him and they thought he was valuable to get him as an undrafted free agent. I don't know if they want to put him back on waivers. And I think another player that may be in the mix, but I think he's going to inevitably not make the team, is Eric Smith, who was an undrafted free agent back in 2017, spent some time with the Patriots, the Dolphins, and the Jets. I think he was uh, he went to University of Virginia, if I'm not mistaken. And he's somebody who had to step in and fill in for Nate Solder, and he was really bad at left tackle this year. So I don't know if he's going to have a chance to crack the roster if he develops under Colombo, like a lot of these players, these younger players could. He could put potentially be stashed on the practice squad again he's still eligible for that but uh, if i had to look at any of these players you got chad slade and nate wozniak too any of these players behind gates I- i'm looking at kyle murphy to be the one who could possibly fit into the equation of cracking the roster but there's a lot of the offensive line spots are going to be taken up dan because the-, the giants finally added to this this position group and it seems like they're heading in the right direction yeah to me it seems like especially based on you know where they're at right now, the, there's locks on this line. There's Andrew Thomas, lock. Nate Solder, lock. That's two. Matt Parrott, lock. Three. Cam Fleming, lock to me. Four. That's four locks and more than usual at tackle. Usually only have one swing tackle. Now you have the three interior guys that are starting. That's seven offensive linemen. If they carry an eighth, may, you know, maybe it's Shane Lemieux. Maybe it's Gates. What about – like are they going to go nine offensive linemen? Where does that – where do you stand on that? Because – Teams, there are there might be you know a better chance this year than ever to carry more linemen, depending on what they do at quarterback and if they carry three into this season, which again that's a bit crowded as well. I, I'm I just kind of curious how it's going to shake out because there seems like a lot of guys, especially if they do go ahead and start pulley. I think they will, and it's going to be contingent on because this year they passed that you get two more practice squad players and you can activate two players on game day. You can activate two more players to your active roster and then drop them back down to the practice squad, and they don't have to go through waivers. That's a new thing that's been passed. So I expect if this could happen to Shane Lemieux, this could happen to Kyle Murphy. Uh, I expect some of this to happen to the offensive linemen, especially if some of these guys, Will Hernandez, Nate Solder, Kevin Zeitler, Spencer Pulley, they get injured. And as for Kyle Murphy, he could be somebody that they're looking to really fully transition to be the center, and he will be the backup center and could earn a spot on the roster if that transition goes well. There's still a lot of ifs here, and there's a lot of offensive linemen that are looking to possibly make this roster, more so than we've seen in the past with the New York Giants. But I, I think it's uh, I think it's going to be interesting how they uh, delegate these spots to some of these younger players. It's going to be really tight, man. Yeah, it really is. This is going to be tighter than ever. There's more competition ever on the Giants' offensive line than we've seen, at least, in – I don't even know how long at this point. There really wasn't much competition even during the good years. There was just a good offensive line of veterans that came back. What are you saying? James Brewer was never uh, never had any competition, bro? <laughs> Bobby R., James – I mean, Jesus. <laughs> you go back and look. It's, it's insane, but there's more competition – there's going to be a surprise cut because they're not going to carry nine. It, it seems unlikely that they would carry nine. So it seems, I, yeah, it does. It yeah. does. But it's it's going to be seems like a potential stretch. And I think they will. I think they'll definitely carry. I think eight. they're going to have to keep eight with all this talent. It, with the ninth though, man, and you cut someone like Kyle Murphy, he could easily be sw- swept up on waivers. That's another thing. Usually we have these waivers. I, I, 
and I'm sure it's going to happen after preseason, but that's a big part that not a lot of like doesn't really get media attention. But the transactions that happen after cuts, think about how many giants uh, have been added to this roster throughout this Gettleman era, and yeah. other players have been cut because other teams didn't want these players. It happened with Caden Smith last year. He got he gets cut by the 49ers. Giants sweep in, pick him up. That's another huge thing the media doesn't really pay attention to, but it's a it's a very important thing that kind of helps shape these teams because Gettleman has been extremely aggressive in this regard with yes. the September cut. Spencer Pulley was another one they signed from the Chargers on a September cut. Way more aggressive uh, approach than what we saw from Jerry Reese um, during those years. So that's something to also consider in mind. There's legit competition on this offensive line. Yeah, there definitely is. There's pros to cons to that as well, man, because the pros are, hey, we're getting a really good player here, player that we value more than the players on our roster. But the con is this guy didn't go to training camp with us. So this guy is very new and he's going into the season with a very rudimentary understanding of our team. So that also has to be weighed into that whole uh, September cut free agency thing. Yeah, without a doubt, Nick. All right. Any other t- anything else you want to touch on in the offensive line before we sign off? Thankfully, the Giants added Mark Colombo. Now, um, I'm I'm a uh, I'm excited for the future of this team, but I don't think it's going to be rose petals early on. Is yeah, something I will say. I think, I think there's going to be some bumps here. There will there should be some bumps on the offensive line, but again, two guarantees they locked in with Parrot and and Thomas. They will be on the roster. Maybe a third with Lemieux. We really like Lemieux here. Um, thought that was really good value. Uh, we'll see. This this offensive line is finally adding talent to develop, young talent to develop, and it's exciting. It really is exciting because, as you guys know full and well, Nick and I are big believers that this game is won up front. You can't win this game of football consistently when you don't win the battle at the line of scrimmage, specifically, in my mind, um, on the offensive side of the ball with the offensive line. I, I believe it to, it's a, to a large extent as well with the interior defensive line, but even more so with the offensive line. So we'll see where it's at. Um, Nick, anything else before we sign off regarding the O-line, though? Not regarding the old line, but ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen. What do we got? What do we got? We, my friends, you should just go to your Instagram app right now, right this second, and follow NY Big Blue Banter, started by our good friend, Sean Barletta. Great last name. Okay? This is our Instagram account. There's posts on the stories almost every day. It's quality content. Give it a follow. It's going to be fun. Okay? And then we can interact. We could shoot the breeze. It would just be a good time. So head on over to Instagram, NYBigBlueBanter. Thank you, Nick. I appreciate that. We all do. We all want more followers on that Big Blue Banter account on Instagram. Again, NYBigBlueBanter. Instagram, we're putting out st- – well, Sean is dominating for us, putting out stories, links to the podcast, little clips from us. It's all great stuff. It's really been unbelievable. I can't believe how good it, this account has been. There was even a Father's Day post today that caught my attention. A little Eli Manning action. Gotta love Eli. He put out a funny Twitter post as well on his own Twitter account. Um, so definitely check us out there. Again, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. Tell your Giants fan friends and family. And we'll speak to you again very soon. We're going to tackle the next one. is going to be the Daniel Jones quarterback podcast. So that's going to be a doozy. That's a big one. We will speak to you soon. Have a great rest of your week.